0: I think we read this story a few years ago, but it's been a while, so I don't know if you all remember it, but we'll read it again, and it goes really well with my message. And so this will be for you, and then the adults can pay attention to the message. You guys can pay attention to the message too, but it's called The Big Tractor, The Big Red Tractor, and The Little Village. Once upon a time, in a happy little village, a big red tractor lived in a cozy little shed. Each year, when the snow started to melt, the villagers knew it was time to plow their field. So every morning, they'd go out uh, to the little shed and wake up the big red tractor. They loved the powerful put put kaboom" noises he made. And they cheered because the big red tractor helped them with their hardest job, plowing the field. Everyone worked together to move the big red tractor through the field. Half the villagers pushed him and the other half pulled him. He smiled cheerfully, glad to help, even though they never seemed to move him very far. The villagers worked very hard and they always finished plowing the field just in time to plant delicious vegetables and sweet fruit before the rain came. The rain fell from the sky and watered the field. Then the sun came out and made the seeds grow. Finally, the villagers gathered all the food in large baskets. Everyone celebrated. Everyone shared. There was just enough food to feed the whole village. Then one cold day, something amazing happened. Farmer Dave was cleaning out his attic and discovered a book tucked inside an old chest. It explained how the big red tractor had been made, and it showed powerful things no one knew he could do. Farmer Dave stayed up all night reading the book. He couldn't wait to tell everyone what he had discovered. The next morning, Farmer Dave gathered the villagers to tell them the good news. The big red tractor can move on his own. If we fix him, he could plow the entire field in just one day. But nobody believed him. There's no way that tractor can move on his own, they said. It sounds like a fairy tale. They laughed at him and went back to their work. This made Farmer Dave very sad. But Farmer Dave didn't stop believing what he had read. Every night, while the villagers were asleep, Farmer Dave stayed up late, fixing the big red tractor. Finally, after many nights, Farmer Dave was done. He jumped onto the big red tractor and turned him on, Put put kaboom! He jumped in the driver's seat and had so much fun that he plowed the whole field that very night. The next morning, the villagers woke up to a huge surprise. Their work was done for them. They would not have to spend many weeks pushing and pulling the big red tractor over fields of dirt. It's a miracle! Who did this for us? Look over there! It was Farmer Dave sleeping on the big red tractor. The people shouted happily, Farmer Dave was right, the tractor book is true. That year, the villagers plowed and harvested many fields. They had so much extra food that they were able to share it with, with other people in other villages who needed it. When they visited other villages, Farmer Dave and the big red tractor always took the book with them so they could teach others the wonderful news they'd learned. The little village kept sharing, and the villagers became known as the most generous people in all the world. Did you know that you guys are like the big red tractor? Are you like a tractor? No, you don't think so? Did you know God made you, and he knows just how you work best? Yeah, you're people. You're not a tractor, but you're like He wrote a book full of truth that you can read to help you know how to live too. Do you know what that book is? The Bible, yeah. The Bible tells us that if we try to do things on our own, we won't accomplish much. But if we trust in Jesus, God gives us his spirit, so we'll have new power. The power to love others and tell them about God. So I want to encourage you guys, you boys and girls, uh, when you go home later and throughout the week and encouragement for the parents, uh, to read your Bibles, uh, to spend time reading the Bible. The Bible is something that God gave you to help you learn, to love others, and to care about others, and to love Jesus. Yes, Benson? Do you have to read the whole entire Bible? Not at once you don't, nope. (laughs) But spend time reading the Bible, all right? And so that's my story for you guys. I'm going to pray. Yes? Yes? forever? I think you, not at one time, but I think you should read it forever. All right, let's pray, and then whenever I'm done praying, you guys can go back to your parents. Dear Jesus, thank you for each one of the boys and girls here. Thank you for their parents and that they brought them here to church to learn more about you. I pray for each one of them that they would grow up to know the Bible, uh, to know you through the Bible, and that as they grow up, they would love others and care about others uh, and love you. Amen. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Uh, this morning, we will be starting with number one on the list uh, of our statement of faith, which if you paid close attention, as close attention as the kids did, you, and, and if you remember from uh, the game show that Jesse hosted last week where the, the West Side dominated, uh, the, first thing, the first thing on the statement of faith is the Bible. Uh, let's pray and then we'll jump in. Dear God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for uh, for church, for community, for the ways in which we can gather together like this uh, and and worship together as community. Worship you. Um, thank you for your Bible, for the Word of God um, that you've given us for several different reasons. Uh, I pray this morning as, a, as we look at some of those reasons um, that they would be true for us, that we would see the truth in your Word and that we would... Read it and live it out. Thank you for the Bible, uh, and thank you for church. Amen. So yes, first on the list, the Bible. Uh, Now I understand some of you could have questions as to why the Bible is first on the list and not God. Uh, I'm actually there with you. I've been questioning that throughout this week uh, as I've been planning this. Obviously the Bible is very important, but God is and should be the most important. There are jokes that go around sometimes about different churches, and uh, I don't know any of these churches, so you don't have to try to, like, play detective and figure out who it is. But there's these jokes that go around sometimes about some churches being all about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. And although it's kind of funny, it's, uh, it's not good. And I think it's actually true sometimes. I think we as Christians sometimes elevate the Bible to a place that it should not be. My hope is, as I speak this morning, uh, that that we'll recognize the power and the importance of the Bible, but that we won't elevate it to be in a place where it isn't, shouldn't be. The Bible is not a God. So back to the order. Why the Bible and then God, if God is supposed to be the most important? I'm not sure the exact thought pro- uh, process that went through, that was, uh, that was worked on, went through um, as the, the EMC leaders worked on this, um, I'm sure there was a lot of wisdom that went into it. There's a lot of wise EMC leaders. Um, and so I'm not sure what their train of thought was. My train of thought, thinking about this throughout this last week, is that, yes, God is the most important. But everything we know of God, of Jesus, of the Holy Spirit, it's all from the Bible. And so if, if we don't believe the Bible, then the things that we believe about God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus are probably going to be off anyway. So yes, the bi- uh, God is number one, but what we learn about God is from the Bible. And so I think that might be why we start with the Bible. That's my thinking on it. Part of the goals that Jesse set forth for us uh, last week as he introduced this back to the basic series was although, that, although we don't want to turn it into a class or a lesson, uh, we want to grow in our confidence of speaking about things we believe in, such as the Bible. So because that's one of our goals, uh, I'm going to spend a little bit of time doing a bit of a history lesson. I don't know if lesson's the right word, word for it, but we're going to run through some facts about the Bible that will help us understand its reliability and authenticity. And there are actually some pretty amazing uh, facts about the Bible that should help us grow in our understanding of it. Uh, when we have questions or when we're questioned about the Bible, these, sh- these things should help us speak more confidently about its truth. Actually, quickly before I get into that, uh, let me read our statement of faith uh, about the Bible. Here it is. It says, We believe that the Scriptures, the Old and New Testaments, are the inspired and infallible Word of God. They are the supreme and final authority in all matters of faith and conduct. And then it gives these uh, references as biblical basis Matthew 5, verse 18, Matthew 24, verse 35, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 to 17. And 2 Peter 1, verse 16 to 21. Uh, In a couple of minutes, I'm going to uh, open up the floor for some of your thoughts and responses. I'm going to ask a question, and I'll give you that question now so you can begin thinking about it already. The question will be, uh, what is the Bible to you? So in a few minutes after we go over this history, I'm going to ask that question so you can start thinking about it already. Just a simple short sentence or one or two words. What is the Bible to you? Some historical, or we'll go through some facts now, some uh, historical facts about the Bible. The Bible has been preserved better than any other writing in history. The New Testament has over 5,800 manuscripts in the original Greek language, and 24,000 in total. Uh, You've maybe heard of Homer's Iliad before. That's the second most, or the second best preserved book in history. Uh, And nobody doubts uh, doubts its authenticity and reliability, and so let's do a little comparison here between the two, uh, the New Testament and Homer's Iliad. The approximate time span between the, first, uh, the original and the first copy for Homer's Iliad was about 500 years. And for the New Testament, it was about 100. Uh, the number of copies that the uh, Homer's Iliad has is 643, and they're believed to be 95% accurate, which I would say is pretty impressive. The New Testament, however, has 5,800 copies, and they are believed to be 99.5% accurate. So I would say the, the Bible should definitely not be questioned either. We could get into all sorts of archaeological pieces of evidence for the Bible, but I probably wouldn't be the best person to do that. There's so many powerful videos, books, and articles out there uh, that describe artifacts that have been found that point to the reliability of the Bible. So you can do more digging into that if you want. There's lots out there. Uh, Professor John McRae, who has studied scriptures for many years and been part of many archaeological digs himself, states that archaeology has not produced anything that is unequivocally uh, a contradiction to the Bible. On the contrary, as we've seen, there have been many uh, opinions of skeptical scholars over the years that archaeology has proven to be wrong. It's amazing. The more that they find, the more that it proves the Bible is true. Again, we won't get into this all now, but there are several writings from non-Christian sources from Jesus' time that speak of, of him being real and of different things in the, in the Bible being true and real. Our junior youth group right now has been learning of some of these. We've been working through the, the young reader's edition of the well-known book, The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. And throughout this book, we've learned of several different facts that point to the reliability Uh, of the Bible and the reality that Jesus is who he said he was. The Bible can be trusted and believed. The Bible itself, the Bible was written over approximately uh, 1,500 years from 1400 B.C. to 100 A.D. uh, by 40 different authors. So 1,500 years and 40 different people who didn't all know each other, um, didn't share notes, and yet the Bible all is a story that flows along and points to the same message, Uh, who God is, how he interacts with his people, and the redemptive work of Christ. The Old Testament is 39 books long, and the New Testament is 27, Uh, and yeah, it was written over 1,500 years. The Old and New Testament, Testament means agreement or covenant. The Old Testament describes the creation of the world. It then outlines the story of the Israelites and their relationship with God. Uh, And through that relationship, we see the agreement part of the Old Testament. It's God's agreement made with man based on the sacrifices of bulls and goats and other animals. And all these sacrifices point to Jesus, the Lamb of God. The New Testament shares that life of Jesus, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. And then it goes on to explain the beginning of the first church uh, and how we are to live as believers and through Jesus, we have the fulfillment of many prophecies. And we see the agreement part of the New Testament. That is God's agreement with man based on the sacrifice of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. The Bible as a book, the Bible is, uh, is the best-selling book in history by a long shot. Although they can't determine the exact number, it's believed that there's about six to seven billion copies of the Bible. Uh, the next highest book is about one billion copies. There's approximately 50 Bibles sold every minute in the world. The full Bible has been translated into 600 plus languages and parts of the Bible into 2,900 languages. Although these facts are neat and important in helping us understand the reliability of the Bible, it's, it's much more important that we recognize that the Bible is more than a book. So getting back to that question that I asked you, now is your time to respond. Hopefully you've thought about it a little bit. What is the Bible Yeah, we got ushers on the side uh, with mics, and so just quickly put your hand up uh, and uh, and say, "What is the Bible to you?" A compass. compass. You can also shout it out, and I can repeat it. We'll see how it goes. A compass. God's communication to us. authentic authoritative word of god comfort mm-hmm. any more you don't have to feel like there's a right or wrong answer what is it to you the bible New truth every time you read it? The story of God's love for us. The story of God's love for us. Any more? Maybe one or two more? What was that, sorry? Soul searching. That's good. Thank you. Uh, I, like, I like hearing different people's opinions on things. Uh, or not opinions necessarily, but how they feel about it. That's, that's cool. It's neat. I think it's a good way for us to learn together, to have our eyes and ears open together. Um, I kind of went through in my own head what I thought some of the answers would be. And I was right, I think, on some of them. Um, we're going to go kind of through three of what I thought would be uh, some of the main answers, which weren't all necessarily correct, but I think there's still three important and good things, uh, and also tied up in some of the things that you guys did answer. And so the first thing we're going to go through is the Bible as a guide uh, or as a light. How many of you know uh, who Jiminy Cricket is? Some hands. Not a lot. I wouldn't have put my hand up either before this week when I was researching this. To me, Jiminy Crickets, for many years, was what my mom said when she was frustrated. <laughs> uh, I didn't, uh, didn't know or didn't remember, at least, that Jiminy Cricket is the cricket in the movie Pinocchio. And in that movie, he is Pinocchio's conscience. And as all good uh, Disney movies, even in the, in the 40s, when this one was released, have, there's a, a catchy song. One of the songs in this movie goes, uh, Jiminy Cricket is singing, and he says, sings. Take the straight and narrow path and if you start to slide, give a little whistle and let your conscience be your guide. Now that may have made for an interesting children's book and movie, but it's not a good lesson in life. Our consciences are basically our understanding of right and wrong. And although for the most part I think our consciences do a good job, there's a problem if we only follow our conscience and our own understanding of right and wrong. Because our own understanding does not always align with God's. John MacArthur writes, For a conscience to be trustworthy, it must be programmed with scriptural teaching. And that is why the Bible makes the perfect guide for us. The song should say, let the Bible be your guide. The Bible is a guide to help us know how to make choices in life, how to live in general as believers. One of my favorite Bible verses for a time in my life, which was also part of that that new song that Kyle led, Uh, It was Psalm uh, Psalm 119, verse 105. It was actually the verse I picked as my theme verse uh, for the year 2020. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Uh, I can still see that banner hanging in the Beaver Creek uh, Bible Camp dining room. Can you, some of you guys remember that? There was a banner hanging with that verse on it. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Uh, Your word, the word of God, the Bible, it's a lamp to my feet. This book, uh, it helps me as I walk along my life journey. It lights up the path as I go. Something that I found interesting as I thought about this verse a lot, especially in that year 2020, uh, is that a lamp doesn't help much if it's not in your hands uh, or maybe a headlamp on your head. But it doesn't help much if you don't have it with you. If I put the lamp on the bench over there and it's dark in here and I start walking out, it's not going to be long till I'm in the dark again. And so I think it's important to recognize that we must have the Bible, our lamp, with us. The Word of God is a lamp to my feet, a light for my path. Thinking about the Bible again, uh, about those facts, uh, it's estimated that there are approximately four Bibles per household in North America. But how many of those Bibles are used and how many of them just sit on the shelf collecting dust? As you walk along in your life journey, hold the Word of God close to you. Spend time in it. Reading it, living it out. It's a guide for us daily. A guide, a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. I'm going to read uh, the last couple of pages of this book again um, because I think it ties, ties together with this well. The last couple of pages said, Did you know that you are like the big red tractor? God made you and he knows just how you work best. He wrote a book full of truth that you can read to help you know how to live too. The Bible tells us that if we try to do things on our own, we won't accomplish much. But if we trust in Jesus, God gives us his spirit, so we'll have new power, the power to love others and tell them about God. So just as the big red tractor has a manual, all of our vehicles come with a manual. That manual, is, it's written and created by the maker of the vehicle. It wouldn't help much to have uh, a Ford truck and a Toyota manual. Um, it's, the manual is created by the maker. Or in our case, the Bible, the manual is created by, is written, is given to us by our creator, by God. Uh, it, it helps us learn how we work, um, the problems in our lives, sin, how we can fix them through Jesus. It tells us how to live. Many of the passages of the Bible, especially the, the epistles at the end of the New Testament, Uh, instruct us how to live holy and obedient lives that display Christ's character and work. The Bible is our manual. And as Farmer Dave did, uh, he acted upon what he read, even when his friends and fellow uh, villagers didn't believe him. James 1 verse 22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. That's a huge purpose for the word of God, to teach us what to do and how to live as followers of Christ that we should love others and how, how to do that well, that we should serve God uh, and how to do that well, uh, and that we should accept and can accept salvation simply by believing. The next one we will look at, which uh, I'm a little disappointed in Karen now, but that's okay. The next one we will look at is the Bible as Lifeline. Uh, on Tuesday morning, you'll find out now why I'm a little disappointed, but on Tuesday morning, as uh, pastors from the different, uh, different churches here in Rosenort, I had lunch with Arlen Scharfenberg, the principal from the Rosenort School. And as we were paying for lunch by the front door, a few of the pastors had left already. Uh, I knew that this this sermon was already kind of working in my brain. Uh, And so I asked them the question, what is the Bible to you? And kind of as I did that, Karen walked in. And uh, she was actually the first to give a response. And she said, "Uh, it's a lifeline. And the rest of the pastors were kind of quiet for a little bit. And they, uh, they agreed. They said, that sums it up fairly well. So, I was hoping Karen was going to say that this morning, but that's all right. I, too, think Lifeline sums it up very well. Although it's similar in several ways to a guide, there are some differences. Uh, J.I. Packer, he was a very well-known and influential evangelical theologian uh, who passed away a few years ago. He wrote an article titled exactly this, Our Lifeline. In it, he says, the Bible is the rope God throws to us uh, God throws us in order to ensure that we stay connected while the rescue is in progress. What a neat way of thinking about it. You see, a lifeline is a rope that is thrown to someone who's drowning. Uh, and they cling to it with all they have, especially in a, in a strong current. They, they hold on to that rope with all that they have until they're, they're pulled safely to shore. Drowning, as we know, uh, it consists of water kind of invading and overwhelming our bodies and our lungs. Sometimes we use the word drowning metaphorically to speak of, of someone drowning in sorrow or in grief or in other things that invade our lives and, and disrupt the normal. We see it around us, even within our own lives. People drowning in hopelessness and disappointment, bitterness, isolation, in all sorts of ways, we and the people around us at times in our lives are drowning, overwhelmed by these different feelings. But the Bible, it's our lifeline. The Bible is future oriented and, and hope-centered. Packer says, The God of the Bible, whom Christians know as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, united in a shared divine life, is both a very present help in trouble and a very potent hope in times of despair. God comes and he rescues us. He throws us the Bible, the lifeline, in order to ensure that we and he stay connected while the rescue is in progress. It doesn't always happen immediately, but the hope that the Bible gives us can begin reversing that drowning feeling. So even though Karen didn't say it this morning, she was right. The Bible is absolutely our lifeline. When we feel overwhelmed like we're drowning in the hopelessness of the world, remember that God gave us his word, and we can cling to it, to the hope that we read in our lifeline in the Bible. The last one we'll look at is uh, the Bible as the living word of God. Uh, there were some answers kind of along that line um, of the Bible being God's word to us. One of the verses that is referenced in the statement of faith is Second Peter 1, verse 16 to 21. I want to highlight specifically verses 20 and 21 now. They say, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. There are two significant viewpoints that many people hold to when it comes to the Bible. Uh, inerrant or infallible. Inerrant means that you believe the Bible has no errors at all in any way. And infallible means that you believe the Bible could have some little scientific or historical or grammatical errors in it. However, you believe that the Bible does not fail in any way when it comes to its purpose. As you heard a few minutes ago, uh, when, when I read the statement of faith, we hear in the EMC and at PV believe that the Bible is infallible. It does not fail in its purpose in any way. However, we recognize also that it is, uh, it's very influenced by humans in many ways. It's been uh, written by humans, it was copied by humans, translated and printed by humans. In many ways, it's a very human book, and with that comes some scientific, grammatical, or copying errors. But, the Bible does not fail in its purpose because it is 100% inspired by God. And because it's 100% inspired by God, it is actually unable to fail in its purpose, because God does not fail in what he does. As the verse I just finished reading says, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God inspired the writing of the Bible. The Bible is God's word. This verse, along with several others, strongly suggest, strongly say, that although the Bible was written by humans, it was inspired by God. It's God's Word. And not only that, but it's the living Word of God. The Bible is living and active. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. I'm sure this is true for many of you. Uh, Ken already uh, shared this earlier. That the Bible is new every time he reads it. Uh, and so I would say, from my experience as well, uh, that the Bible is true. It's living and active. Uh, and most of the time, or sorry, for most of us, I'm sure, we've read the same verses or same stories many different times in our lives. At different times of our lives. When we've been joyful, when we've been struggling, if a challenge... Uh, And and when we read these stories and these verses at different times, there's different things that stand out to us. And I think it's an amazing uh, aspect and proof that the Word of God is living and active. God is working through it. And as you're in a challenge and you read a verse, something stands out to you. And as you're joyful and you read a verse, something different stands out to you. And it's an amazing way that the Bible is living and active. We may know uh, the purpose of the Bible, but that alone is not enough. We must spend time in the Word of God on our own. Sure, listening to a sermon is good. I'm glad you're all here listening to me. Pastor Jesse, when he speaks, he's glad you're listening to him. But that's not enough. In our world today, I think many of us are losing the habit, the desire, and the love for reading the Bible, myself included at times. I've never really enjoyed reading much, and so it can be hard for me sometimes to spend time reading my Bible. I was listening to a sermon uh, by Francis Chan where he said something along the lines of, uh, and this is true for me as well, and so I'm just going to speak it like I would. Uh, When I spend time reading God's word, when I spend time alone with God, it's the only place I can't lie. I can sometimes be good at lying. This is probably not a good thing for me to be, well, I'm already a few months in, so. I can sometimes be good at lying. I think actually many of us can be. Uh, We can get quite good at putting on a show. Uh, We know the things to say to make us look good or, or ways to make us look humble, um, to please other people. But when we spend time with God in his word, lying is useless. He knows. There's no one to impress. And, and I spend time alone with God, he knows my heart. He shows me ways in which I need to change, ways in which I need to grow, to confess. And when we're alone in God's word, we need to be real and we can be real. I think now is uh, an important time for this message. We need to spend time in the never-changing, always true and important Word of God. Many of us, there's so many distractions around us, and we run to all these different things, but we're growing away. uh, We're we're moving away from the habit of running to the Bible and spending time in the Bible. The Word of God has been around for thousands of years, and it still and forever will be true and real. The Word of God will never fade away. Uh, the the first two verses in the statement of faith Matthew 5 verse 18 says I tell you the truth until heaven and earth disappear not the smallest letter not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished Matthew 24 verse 35 says heaven and earth will pass away but my words will never pass away this one isn't in the statement of faith but Isaiah 40 verse 8 says the same thing the grass withers and the flowers fall but the word of God stands forever why do we try and change our ways and forget the word of God it's clear the word of God will never pass away it stands forever but yet we run to new things to different things the word of God has been changing people's lives for thousands of years and I can speak from experience on this Uh, I think many of us probably if we look at our own lives we can see it too when I'm spending consistent time in the word of God I'm a far better person when I daily read God's word and spend time with him, I can see my character change. In a good way. I become less self-centered. I'm more patient. I'm more kind to others. People I know and people I don't. Uh, when I'm, I spend time filling my heart and my thoughts with the living and life-giving word of God. The living word. Uh, and God, because he breathed his breath into the Bible. That's what it says in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed. Did you know there are two things that uh, that have God's breath breathed into them? Us, uh, in Genesis 2, verse 7, when God creates man, he says, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living living being. And here in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17, the Bible, God breathes his breath into the Bible. And God, because he has breathed his, his breath, his word, uh, into us and into the Bible, we ha- he has the power to help me change, to help us change our character as we spend time in his word, concerning ourselves with his thoughts, with his teachings. So I would say I'm going to put a little challenge out there. If we're going to call ourselves Christians and desire to live like Christians, yes, God is and needs to be the most important But a huge way in which we connect with God and learn to live out our faith as believers is by spending time in our guide, our lifeline, in the living and active word of God, in the Bible. Amen.